Welcome to the Oasis. Boom, 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 boom. No, I hate that book. Really? It's it's so bad. I love I loved. Okay, well, let's just start there then. Why did you hate Ready Player One? I, okay, it's I didn't hate it, but I think that liking it too much is a sign of bad taste. Oh damn! <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right. Um. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison, and my co-host, Adam Simon, he's here as well. Hello. And Christina Andromley, she'll be joining us as well. Christina, insert, yeah, insert hello. <laughs> I can't do an impression of Christina. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this week, we're going to be talking about uh, a piece that our very own Richard Yao wrote in last week's uh, Lab Weekly. Uh, it is called The Social Social Gaming and the Future of VR. Uh, we're going to put a link in the show notes for this, but we highly recommend that you read this piece because um, we'll be ref- like, we'll, we will be referring back to it uh, throughout the episode. Um, so, Adam, let's just dive dive into this. So, right now, I think to start, let's, what is the state of VR? Um, there were a lot of expectations, you know, I guess over the past three years, uh, and it seems like it is for me personally. It's deep in the trough to disillusionment, kind of riding that Gartner hype. Oh cycle. yeah, yep. VR um, has been in the trough of disillusionment before. I would like to point out <laughs> we went through this in the '90s, and VR is now back in that in that trough. Uh, you know, I think we had a lot of technological advancements um, starting in uh, about uh, 2013 or so, coming out of the smartphone supply chain using smartphone components in VR headsets made them way better than they were in the 90s. But uh, it, the technology is not everything when it comes to adoption of these new uh, platforms. Uh, you know, technologically, VR is is very capable these days. Uh, but uh, it, we're not seeing consumer uh, adoption, and I think that that is partially cultural, partially uh, software and content related mm-hmm. on the VR side. Um, you know, and I think uh, the the thing that we're here to talk about, uh, I think, it moves it forward a little bit. Um, but it, we're we're still, I think, missing a few uh, uh, things that would make VR sort of culturally um, more mainstream and the kind of thing that more people are going to start using on a regular basis. Yeah. So I guess I, w- I want to ask you more about the cultural aspect. So like what what cultural things do you think are missing from it? Just like a general. I guess sense from the community to be like, Oh, what that, like it isn't weird to put like a goggles on your face and just wave your hands around and do something like what's well, kind of missing. A big part of that was the isolation of VR in that when you put on a headset, um, you are often the only person in a room wearing one. So if there are other people in the room, you're cut off from them. Um, and then there's just our, what are you, are, are, is there a social experience inside the headset? And we have seen that with a number of, of games. Uh, but, uh, I think, you know, part of the, the reason for talking about this now is that Facebook just announced this new horizon product, um, which, uh, which I think tries to solve, and I think probably does solve some of the social, uh, missing social, uh, aspects of VR. It gives you uh, some stuff to do in VR besides play the same games you'd be playing on your PlayStation or Xbox, um, otherwise, but more immersively, it gives you a more natural social experience that probably appeals to a wider audience than just gaming. Got it. Well, so then I got a question kind of go off that, right? Like, why does it have to be this like social like social environment that's similar to like Ready Player One, right? Why does it have to be that environment? Because to me, how I look at it, just based off the adoption uh, where like where the technology is at today, it's like the like the core use cases. Is, is it 
the core use case for it is gaming. And it's very, very much so in the world of like console and PC gaming form factors. So why can't this, this just be like another gaming environment? It has obviously other potentials around it, but to me, it just seems like, you know, do we just, does it just stop as like a gaming yeah, it console, could be. right? It, it could be. And, and, uh, you know, the, the best selling, uh, headset VR headset is the PlayStation VR, um, which is part of PS4. There are um, not most of you know ninety nine percent of the, those experiences just look like the same kind of games you'd be playing on your PlayStation. Otherwise, um, it might just be, and I think that for the foreseeable future, most likely VR will will hang out and be sort of a niche game console. Yep. Um, it, I, I think we've seen a lot of game developers run into challenges with monetization and that there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem. VR is expensive to produce and there's a small audience for it now. So yep. they're having a hard time monetizing and therefore a hard time justifying investing in VR only content. And if there's not VR only content, then a lot of people are just going to opt for the non VR version. So true. Uh, we, there is a little bit of a chicken and the egg there, even on the gaming side of things. But to go back to the social side of things, I think what we see is that at least on Facebook side and, and Oculus um, being owned a subsidiary of Facebook, they have broader ambitions outside of gaming because Facebook really wants VR to be the next extension of a social platform. Um, they want it to be a uh, place where you go to hang out with your friends and interact with your friends, just like you do on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, and that has pretty clearly always been their vision. Finally, I think horizon they've, they've launched several other products like spaces. And yep. Room, and, yeah. And Oculus rooms. rooms. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I think that those were all very, they were too, um, timid <laughs> to, <laughs> to really be a replacement to really too siloed. Yeah. They were too siloed. There was not enough to do, um, Horizon is very open-ended. It has a ton of creative tools inside of it for you to build experiences inside of it. It looks like it, it and we don't know because it's not out yet. It's not out until next year, but it looks like it might finally be that social layer of VR that we knew Facebook was working towards the entire time. Right. That's interesting. I mean, it seems like Facebook's heavily invested in VR over AR. Um and I, I, cause I, that's always curious to me, just given the fact that I think this is a much harder, I don't know, form factor to, to like just get consumer adoption for, right? It, it seems like um, in general, it's much easier for somebody to pick up a phone and start doing an AR experience and kind of enter a sort of new universe through that device uh, rather than go out and buy an Oculus headset or something like that. Yep. yep. I mean, I... We see AR as an uh, as a companion technology in that even in the future when we do have wearable headsets for AR, which are coming, and, and I know that there's like Magic Leap and, and um, uh, HoloLens in market, but at some point we'll have consumer versions of those devices and uh, those will be available. Even when we're wearing something on our faces for AR, it is a companion technology in that you can see the world around you. You can still interact with people in the room with you. Um, and eventually I think, you know, we all sort of believe that we'll probably at some point be walking down the street wearing AR glasses and that'll be fairly common. Um, and that's, you know, probably five or 10 years away, but at some point that'll be, that'll be a thing. Uh, it's a companion technology. That's not inter You don't have to interrupt the rest of your life to take part in it. Mm -hmm. VR is because it is completely immersive. It kind of cutting you off from the outside world. You do have to completely interrupt your life. It, yep. You have to have an appointment. It's like, a, it's like appointment TV um, where you have to decide now I am doing VR. It's not something you pick up for two minutes uh, to play with and then put away. You have to 
it, it's a commitment of, uh, you know, at least I would say 20 minutes or so to really feel like you're, you've done anything. Um, and sometimes maybe, maybe hours. Um, and for that reason, it's use is always going to be at least in the next, let's say 25 years, always going to be much smaller. Um, you're yep. never, you're never going to be in VR all the time. Whereas theoretically, when we have wearable devices, you could be using AR most of your day, um, or at least as often as we're using our phones at this point. Yeah. And like, again, going back to like that time commitment, that's, I think really part of why I think it, it is like, a, it to me, it's like a game console because right. right, so much like an Xbox or a PS4 is like, you don't just go there to play for like five, 10 minutes. Like you, probably you know average spend you know an hour hour and a half you know because like for example if you do like matchmaking on overwatch right i mean like an average game can be like 15 20 minutes so just yep. just that that then in itself it's like it there's a time commitment to it but i think this this immersion and this complete dedication of your attention is why facebook is interested in vr over ar i think right. they want to have a, own a platform that they can completely control your attention um, because that has huge ramifications for advertising. Um, and it could be a hugely profitable part of their business if they can convince enough people to do it. Right. Um, and I think that that is still the the hurdle. Um, and actually, I think the thing, the, the takeaway that I have this week of looking at this product is that Horizon isn't like the wrong idea at all. Again, it's, I think it was a missing layer for VR, but I actually think it might be more successful if it weren't in VR because <laughs> there's no reason why you have to have a headset strapped to your face to be doing a lot of the things that they demonstrated with Horizon in terms of building experiences and playing sort of mini games with people and hanging out in a virtual space. We already see people doing things like that um, in Fortnite and in Minecraft and yep. in Roblox. There are already some really um, successful Successful platforms that are not in VR um, that are letting people sort of do a lot of these similar things. And I think that that's really like what Facebook is up against. I think that they, they ran to where they want people to be, but what consumers are saying is we're perfectly happy to do these things in other platforms. And part of the, the advantage of those other plat of those other platforms is that they run uh, th those other experiences is that they run. Most of them run on every platform. So you can play Fortnite on your console, like you're saying, and maybe yep. you sit down and play for 90 minutes or so, but you can also play it on your iPhone if you're just like waiting for a plane. Yep. Um, and I think that that is kind of key to their adoption is that cross platform access. Access. Whereas Horizon is going to be stuck inside of Oculus, which has a relatively small user base. <laughs> and I think that that is going to be a huge challenge for getting people to adopt it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. And it's, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's like we kind of talk about how Facebook is trying to build this world inside of Horizons, right? Like, how is that really different than any other games that are already doing it where there's already adoption? Like, that, like that's been like my big stir is like, why... Like what are they going to offer me in there that's going to be different or better than, let's say, building in Minecraft or building in Fortnite, you know, or even like back in the day, like building like your own custom maps in Halo. Like this idea of like world building has been around, you know, yep. for for years. Um, I think it's really it's really it's really exploded through Minecraft, especially because it's like you know like things yep. that people are building in Minecraft, like full on replicas of like the entire world that is Game of Thrones. Like people have built these things. It's incredible. Yep. Um, I just want to say, like, I guess, what's the benefit of doing that on on Facebook's platform? It's just because, like, you have a headset on. Like, is, is, <laughs> right. is that right. it? I mean, I think that there are two things. One, 
the Facebook would say the benefit is VR. I think, I think that that's actually a drawback in the short term. I think yes, in the long term, we might want to do these things in a more immersive environment, but it would make way more sense for me, uh, to me to see, uh, and, and they have demonstrated this. They have demonstrated Minecraft in not in VR, but in AR. Um, yep. and I, Minecraft earth, 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 Minecraft <laughs> earth, which is, uh, you know, I think now available on uh, mobile devices on yep. iOS at least. Yep. Um, and they, they have a version for the HoloLens, which is a Microsoft product, of course. Um, but I, I think that in the long run, yes, we might want to do that. But in the short run, like to get adoption, it has to be easy for people to try and pick up and play with. And to do that, you really need to be uh, available on mobile devices and consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, again, I think they would say it's a benefit. I think it's a drawback. Uh, the other benefit, and I do think that this is a true benefit is that it's built on Facebook's social graph. Um, oh. And so it's easy for you to interact with your friends um, on the platform. And, um, and I think this is something that we actually have seen um, uh, Epic with Fortnite actually back into a little bit with their mm. acquisition of house party, Party. Yep. Um, where, you know, now it's, it's, it's still early days, um, but they've so far used the house party technology to enable cross-platform voice chat, um, which is a step in uh, in the direction of building more social experiences. I would not be surprised at some point if we see uh, house party be used to allow you to keep in touch with people who are inside of Fortnite when you cannot be inside of Fortnite because you are at work, for example, but be able to like text or talk to them while they're in the game. Um, and that is the kind of thing that uh, I think the reason they're, they're going to do that is that that's, that's a Facebook advantage is that um, right now you could communicate with people inside of Horizon from using Facebook Messenger. Like that is theoretically something that could could happen and would be a benefit of Facebook's platform. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't, like I said, I don't think that a platform advantage is necessarily going to last that long. Right. Cool. Uh, so Christina, welcome. You made it. Hello, I made it. Yes. So good to be here. So happy to have you. Um, so as you might guess, we're talking about all of the fantastic things that are happening in the world of Facebook Horizons, uh, Fortnite, and how they're becoming their own little social environment, integrating House Party, doing DJ concerts with Marshmallow. Um, so I, I got a kind of question for like the both of you here because we we, you know, we we talked about how I guess you know Fortnite is becoming this you know digital second digital like life, right? So like I think this idea of you know hanging out online in a video game is nothing new, right? Like Xbox Live has been around for a while. PS, you know. Uh, their their version of it has been around for a while um you know i know growing up like i would go home turn on xbox play halo and all my friends would hop into a party we'd all hang out together i guess what is what is different this time around in this iteration especially you know like fortnite because we, we can use that as the example because they're the ones that are actually integrating the house party to have like that chat communication like what do we think is different this time around is it solely just the scale of what this game is because it's the biggest game in in the world right now what is different this time around I think gaming is no longer a sector. I think it's no longer that same archetype of person in basement alone with a hot pocket. I think. Oh, I love hot pockets. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's gaming is a cultural, a mainstream cultural tenant where Mm -hmm quote unquote jocks are gamers now and want to be gamers, NBA players, NFL players, rappers. It's no longer this isolated archetype. And I think because of that, the scale, I think that's driven scale. And Mm -hmm. I think that's driven kind of like a destigmatization of communication and identity 
on these on, digital yeah. channels and um it's no longer this fringe early adopter thing anymore right adam what about you what are your thoughts i, I think some of it is a timing thing i think that it was just um <clears throat> culturally the right time for something uh like like uh fortnite to break out um but we you know we've been talking about minecraft and i think that it that we've been we have a generation of kids who grew up playing Minecraft. Minecraft has been around for a while now. And I think a lot of them maybe graduated into something like Fortnite, um, where, you know, Minecraft is a lot of fun, but it is definitely uh, being sort of, uh, you know, you know, virtual Legos. It is something that some, some people will grow out of and will want to look for more different kinds of entertainment. Um, the other thing is that I think the difference between something like Fortnite and something like playing Halo back in the day is the I don't know the the structure of Fortnite. The um, it's more cartoony. It's mm-hmm. le- even though you are killing each other, it's less it's less graphic. It's cartoon uh, violence. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is more playful in some ways. I think it was more constructed from the ground up to be a little bit less serious about the game itself and a little more, uh, you know, equivalent to you know playing basketball in the park with your friends than it mm-hmm. is uh, something that it is uh, saving the planet from aliens. You know, like, right? The covenant. I think you bring up an interesting point about intergenerational, like crossing intergenerational borders in that in the past, maybe with Halo, parents were like, oh, why are my kids playing video games? They're wasting their minds. At the same time, those same parents were loving. There was like this stereo, not a stereotype, but like uh, the archetype of the father throwing the baseball to his son, Uh, right? Yes in the backyard. That was the thing. Yep. Right. And as a father in, I'm generalizing right now, but that was kind of like the quintessential father son interaction. I think Adam, to your point, the kids that were gaming when their parents were getting mad at them are now parents themselves. And so there's this out, like the new throwing the baseball to your son could be bonding with your son in video games that remind you of your childhood. Um, and there's kind of that shared cross-generational experience that's happening as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, I totally agree. I yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, we should really start to define like what is a metaverse? Like we've been kind of like talking about how like for, uh, excuse me, uh, Facebook and the horizon is kind of building the second world. Fortnite is doing the same thing. Like what actually is like, like this metaverse that is in the works, hopefully. Adam. So, yeah. So, and I, a metaverse is the idea of like an alternate virtual world. And I think of the things that are on the market, Facebook horizon is probably the, the close to closest to it um, right now of like things you can actually experience where it's just, it's, it's a world. So some of it is playing games, uh, but some of it is also working or learning or just hanging out and doing social things with your friends. Um, and you know, the idea being that at some point it becomes all encompassing and you know, you can entirely live with inside this, uh, this metaverse. Um, and I think, you know, this originally comes from a lot of the cyberpunk from, uh, the early part of the millennium, uh, and, uh, things like snow crash, um, which was, uh, super influential and by Neil Stevenson and William Gibson. And I think there's just, uh, a lot of that early cyberpunk thinking around what the, the internet would, would do to us as a culture is represented in this idea of a virtual world that you can inhabit, mm-hmm. um, and live your entire life in. So, and I'm going to go to that point there. When we talk about like, like a metaverse, it seems like people just gravitate to VR. That seems to be 
Um, just like that is the ideal image that you, you put on a headset. Does that have to be it? Cause I mean, I feel like again, with what Fortnite is building, what, what Minecraft has built, um, even, you know, like think about like the world of Warcraft, it's like, do you really, do you need that form factor to really be in this metaverse or can there be like multiple layers of it? Yeah. I mean, I think that probably is the initial cyberpunk idea of it would, would probably include a headset so that it's fully immersive. I think obviously if you were working in a virtual space like this, you might want it. If you were coming to school, you might want that level of immersion, but I don't know that it's necessarily a VR headset. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there's, there's two ways this can go. One in one, in some way we already have a metaverse and that so much of our lives happen online to begin with. Um, if you, especially if you, for example, work or go to school remotely and are taking classes or doing all of your work online, you, you in some ways are already living in a metaverse, um, <laughs> where obviously you are hopefully are having real life interactions. Um, but they might, m the majority of your interactions with other people might actually be happening online. Um, but the other side of things that I think we're seeing, and that's something that I don't think was really being imagined, uh, you know, 20 years ago, is the idea of using AR to layer things over the real world so that it's not a metaverse that is exclusive from the uh, physical world, but that it's actually just an additional layer on top of the physical world. And I think that that is you know, looking at just culturally, that is the kind of thing that I think might be more acceptable to more people, at least in the short term. In the long term, obviously, it's hard to say. Cultural, mm -hmm. Culturally, things might shift. Yeah, I mean, I look at AR and I, I just, to me, that, that just seems more accessible. I think that's what it always mm -hmm. comes, and we've, we've, I think we've talked about this like, you know, a few times now, but it just, that to me seems like the most accessible um, way for somebody to enter like a potential metaverse down the road. Cause it's like, it, you can use a phone phones are getting less and less expensive and more and more powerful. Um, and everybody has one. So like, I feel like that's kind of like that first shift into, or the first entry point for, you know, like a, a, a large number of uh, consumers to experience what a metaverse might be like. I also think the different, the key difference there too, is that AR doesn't require you to invest a lot of your time and attention in trialing it. Whereas VR you have to put a headset on and essentially ignore every other thing that's going yeah. on around you. I think that's a big leap to ask consumers to alter their behavior from currently looking at their phone to transitioning into a metaverse where their attention is totally cut off and their multitasking behavior goes down. AR, that's an easier like adjacent behavior yeah. that I think would maybe, and maybe a bunch of consumers try AR and some want more immersive experiences and love the like benefit personal benefit they get from AR and metaverses so much that they graduate into VR. Um, that could be another kind of way this evolves. Yeah. I think it's possible that AR is a pit stop on the way to VR. Um, for some people, but I think there's a big cultural question there as to like, what would be the driving force that would, <laughs> that, that the real world would be so bad that people would uh, want to <laughs> shut it out. <laughs> I agree. I think, I would assume AR to be more mass than yeah, VR. Agreed. But VR to be more deeply engaged with passion communities. So when it comes to actually, I guess, being in one of these uh, environments, the virtual worlds and metaverse, um, how are like what can consumers do? How can they interact? You know, are are they going to be there to buy things? You know, how, how do how do they express themselves in the world? And even how do they create content in these worlds? Right. Like, I think there's a lot of things that we can like, like, like explore and talk about. Um, you know, once people are actually active in the, these environments. So, how about we start with uh, like fashion and expression first? Um, you know, what 
can what what does that mean for a consumer and like what they can buy or what they can't buy or what they can do because it seems like the the possibilities are pretty much defined by your creative imagination i think we already see evidence within fortnite of an immense uh disposition to buy purely cosmetic um skins and things like that nothing that improves the gameplay nothing that changes it into your advantage purely skins that make you look a certain way and shape kind of how you show up in the virtual environment. And I think I expect that behavior to translate into things like fashion. I already see, um, you know, there's already evidence of companies like Gucci offering um, digital clothes that you don't get a delivery of a physical good you get a virtual delivery of uh, an outfit that you can put on. I'm saying that in air quotes, put on (laughs) yourself and use in a photo that you can post on Instagram. And I think this is like the, I don't want to call it logical extension, but if you think of kind of a horizon of decreasing ownership where we own luxury goods and pass them on to models like rent the runway that are almost this more ephemeral fashion model. Um, yes, it's called sustainability, but I think what it is, it's about constantly getting that hit of a new outfit Mm -hmm. to now being able to do that at an infinite way with no space of clothes in your house. Um, because they're so cheap and because they're digital, you can buy as many as you want, yep. buy a different outfit, quote unquote, every day and wear it in pictures. Yep. Um, and I think the more that we see more and more of our lives being lived in digital channels and metaverses, I think the more likely it is that digital clothes beyond just gaming take off as well. That's pretty wild that you can just buy like a piece of clothing for an Instagram photo. Yeah. And I guess like the price is what, like five bucks, something like that. It's around that. That's pretty incredible. The, um, that's interesting that, that you say it cause it kind of, it kind of like commoditizes luxury in a way, right? Well, I think it pushes luxury to even higher. I think what that does is eliminate fast fashion, which actually might be good for the planet because fashion, <laughs> because fashion is the most wasteful industry And I think because of, you know, we've seen great movement from the likes of H&M and Zara in developing more sustainable fabrics. Um, But I think across the board, what a digital wardrobe would replace is things like, um, you know, a $20 shirt that you wear once and people literally throw away. Right. Um, So I would expect it to not replace the craftsmanship of a Dior, for example. Right. Um, but maybe replace some of that kind of like quick hit fast fashion. Yeah. Gotta, gotta feel that addiction somehow, you know, even though we're in the digital environment. Um, Adam, what about you? What about digital goods or transactions, you know, even brands? Like, like what are you thinking about? In yeah, these I mean, there's a huge opportunity for brands um, integrating and providing digital goods. And I think it's not just 
when we look at things like inside of metaverse like worlds like Horizon or Fortnite, like clearly there's an opportunity there. But I also think in AR as well. Like I think I'm surprised we have not seen as many um, branded Snapchat lenses, for example, um, as something that you could actually like. I know that they exist um, as promotion, but I think that we're going to start seeing them as something that you actually purchase. Um, to Christina's point, of you can imagine there being fashion brands who develop um, or fashion or beauty brands who develop lenses that are exclusive um, and there, you know, are maybe only 500 of them available um, and that you would actually purchase them. And I know the platform doesn't allow for that right now, which is partially why we haven't seen it. But I think in the future, um, controlling your how you appear in AR might be actually be even more powerful since it actually is um, physically affecting how others perceive your you in the real world um, mm. and, imp- and impacting that and, and influencing that in interesting ways. And it's interesting that I was reading um, a bit ago about people are showing up to plastic surgeons with their face layered with an AR filter. They call I mean, it's oh colloquially called the pretty filter with higher cheekbones and a more narrow nose and kind of um, more luminous skin. And they show up with themselves with the AR filter and say, I want to look like this. Oh, so it's actually having an impact on physical lives yep. and wow. appearance as well. That's just that guy. My brain exploded. Yeah. But we might not be too far away from a day where you don't actually need to do that. And you can just actively control on a day by day basis, how you look to other people. Like that's where we would be with AR wearable devices is you could, you don't necessarily even have to look human. And I think actually a lot of uh, experimentation will push us more towards less human looking and more exotic looking creatures. <laughs> um, and, you know, like it, it just seems like we'll see a lot of ex- expression and creativity around what it means to present yourself in public to people who can, can see an alternate version of you that maybe that at least for a long time, not everyone will be able to see. I guess, I guess imagine what the Tinder of AR is going to look like. I was just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, to your point about how people are going to start expressing their creativity more and more. It seems like, like there could be a shift to, you know, individuals that become more cre- like, like more creatively focused. Like like there'd be more builders, more builders in the VR worlds, more builders in the AR worlds, more there's more builders in general. And as we've seen with like the no code movement and just you know general like drag and drop uh, tools to help creators, um, it puts up in a very interesting environment for brands to be thinking about how do you interact with a creator environment, right? Yeah, I think that where these platforms are going is that pretty much everybody will be a creator of some sort in the way that we think about them now. In that even if you are just customizing the look and feel of the clothes that your avatar is wearing, in some ways you are a creator in the way that we, you know, we talk about them on social media now. Um, and I think that, you know, that will scale up to there, you know, there will be a Gucci of, uh, of, virtual goods, right? There will be a designer house or several designer houses of virtual goods who sort of dominate the market, but it all goes all the way down to the individual. And so I think, you know, for brands, finding ways to provide um, assets and tools and, that align with your brands to those creators so that you can start establishing your brand now. Um, you know, the Gucci of uh, virtual avatars might be Gucci if they if they play their cards right. Um, but if they don't, it might be someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there there's a lot of opportunity to bring some of the um, 
brand trust and uh, brand familiarity into these virtual spaces. Um, I think that most of these tools right now are coming are just coming from the creators of the platforms. But I do think that in the future, in the not too distant future, they'll be looking to external parties to bring tools and assets into their platforms because uh, just like the real world, it'll need massive scale and no one platform provider is going to be able to provide that. Right. Um, <laughs> well, with that, uh, thank you listeners. Uh, if you like what you hear, please share, tell your friends, give us a review on iTunes. We, go, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, and please go check out our medium blog from there. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, uh, and you can tweet at us uh, at IPG lab, you know, let us know your thoughts. Thank you. And we'll talk soon.